One of my favorite things to do with Warner is uh, lay down and watch a movie with him. That's one of my most favorite things I get to do with Warner. This week we watched uh, Pinocchio together. We also watched A Bug's Life together. And uh, later on in the week, we watched a VeggieTales movie titled The Wizard of Oz. And The Wizard of Oz, it's a children's version of the story of the prodigal son. It follows the life of the prodigal son, who in this VeggieTales version is a small asparagus named Darby, who is a dental floss farmer aspiring to go and live beyond the barn. The story of the prodigal son is one of my most favorite parables of Jesus in the Bible. In fact, the first sermon that I ever preached was about the prodigal son in Luke 15. You probably know how this story goes. A man has two sons, an older son and a younger son. And it's believed that this family was a farming family as the story talks about the workers coming in from the fields and uh, slaughtering calves. With how busy a farming family is, these two boys probably didn't get to leave their home very much. They probably didn't get to go out into the town very much. And if they did or when they did, it would be a weekend retreat of sorts to go and pick up the goods that they needed to continue farming. So most of their lives consisted of working on this family farm. Now I don't know if you've ever been in a place or lived in a town that didn't have much going on at all before, but it can get old quickly. I spent my my high school years in Clifton, Tennessee. Most of y'all probably don't know where that is. Um, I loved my time in Clifton, and I will always love and appreciate the people of Clifton for helping me get to where I am now today in ministry. But my hardest struggle moving from my hometown in Winchester uh, to Clifton was that there was nothing to do in Clifton. There wasn't the Bennett's Pharmacy that I could ride my bicycle to with my friends every day. There wasn't even a McDonald's. There was a subway when we got there, and it closed six weeks after we moved there. (laughs) So for those of us who have lived in places like Clifton where there's not much to do, you understand that things can get repetitive, and they can get dry when you are stuck in the same small place, performing the same tasks day after day, much like what these two sons were witnessing working on this family farm. You can honestly start to take advantage of the days that you spend in the small town by dreaming of getting out and moving to the big town. That's what students in my graduating class would say those last couple weeks before we graduated. I can't wait to get out of here. And that's what this younger son in Jesus' parable was dreaming of. He couldn't wait to get out of here. The younger son wanted to leave his home. He wanted to move to the big city. As Darby, the asparagus the prodigal son from the VeggieTales version says it he wanted to go somewhere beyond the barn far from his lousy farm somewhere where he can find happiness somewhere 
where he'll do what he likes best somewhere beyond the barn. So the younger son asks his father to give him the money that his father had promised him with his inheritance. And his father obliged without complaining. And the younger son immediately left his small home and he moved to the big city. And very quickly, he went through all the money that his father had given him by living and spending the money carelessly. And when his money was gone, he, of course, had to get a job. And he ironically found a job with what was familiar to him on a farm. But this time, doing the worst, the dirtiest, the lowest type of work by working and taking care of pigs. And while it was a job, it didn't provide enough income for him to be able to even eat. So while he was working with these dirty pigs, he starts reminiscing on the times back at home in that small town, thinking, you know, the hired hands at Paul's farm, they always had something to eat. Maybe I can go back, and even if I get a job just like this, at least I'll have something to eat. Maybe I can sneak back in unnoticed by my father and work with the pigs there and finally be able to eat something more than what the pigs are eating. So the boy goes back home. And as soon as he tops the hill back from his trip beyond the barn, he is welcomed by the embrace of his father who was waiting patiently every day for him to return back home where he belonged. The younger son soon realized that somewhere beyond the barn was not what it seemed to be. It wasn't as fun as he thought it was going to be. He realized that maybe coming from a small, insignificant place with nothing at all going on was not so bad after all. The younger son realized that living far beyond the barn, far beyond the father's embrace, is not an easy place to be. In Jesus' family story, we recognize that like you and I, Jesus came to us from a people a place, and a story. That is the story of humanity. We remember from last week that Jesus came to us from a people who wrestle. And Jesus came to us from a people who change and who transform. But what we will learn today is that Jesus comes to us also from a place. A place that was insignificant with not a lot going on. The place that Jesus came from is our topic for today's message. And the place we will talk about is now perhaps the most famous small town in history, Bethlehem. And by learning the story of Bethlehem, we are going to explore how Jesus' birth in the small insignificant town of Bethlehem can help give us fresh insight into how God works through the small and through the insignificant. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. I invite you to read this gospel message along with me. Matthew writes, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they replied, 
For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd the people of Israel. This is the word of God for the people of God. So Bethlehem, is, it's an old city. As it's first mentioned in the book of Genesis... Genesis records Bethlehem as being the nearest town when Rachel dies. Uh, The town of Bethlehem is also mentioned all throughout the Old Testament, including um, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, who lived in Bethlehem with her husband and her two sons before they moved to Moab. And they had moved to Moab because of this great famine that arose in the area. However, Naomi and Ruth returned back to Bethlehem after Naomi's husband had passed away along with her two sons, one of which Ruth's husband. But Ruth was not originally from Bethlehem. She was from Moab, yet she chose to stay faithful to Naomi, and she returned to Naomi's town of Bethlehem with her. And Ruth met Boaz in Bethlehem, and they were married in this small, humble town. And Ruth, as you know, she was the mother of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David. So what we find is that though this city is small, this is the city of the kings. Of course, the main significant king to be born from Bethlehem, to be of Bethlehem, is Jesus In the Old Testament, there were numerous prophecies that this coming Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophet Micah prophesied, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old and from ancient times. Bethlehem, at the time of Jesus' birth, was not an important city anymore. Um, the previous glory of, of King David, of the roots of King David, they had already washed away, and Bethlehem was now seen as this insignificant, unqualified city of less than a thousand people. That is until Jesus is born in this city of the kings in Bethlehem. And this relationship of Jesus to this small town of Bethlehem can show us a few things. It shows us that coming from a place where not much happens is not a bad thing after all. It shows us that God works through the powerless to show his power in a mighty way. This relationship shows us that God works through the hidden and the forgotten parts of the world to reveal his glory in new ways. God loves to work through the very, very small. He loves to work through the insignificant and the unqualified to change a big world. One of my most favorite quotes about this truth of Jesus says, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God chooses the small, and sometimes you and I feel small 
Sometimes you and I feel unqualified. Sometimes you and I feel powerless. Sometimes we feel hurt. Sometimes we feel insecure. And sometimes we like to project our own insecurities onto someone else and say, at least I'm not like them. Sometimes we like to blame our insecurities on where we are. And we tell ourselves, if I can just get out of this place, I can really become something special. But the hope is that even in the midst of the wrestling with that hurt and insecurity, there is still a God who is waiting for you to come back home to his loving embrace. There is a God who chooses to work through the unqualified, through the broken, through the hurt, and through the insecure to prove his power to the world. The gospel message can be summarized in this, that God can breathe life into what is dead, small, insignificant, and powerless to bring us the hope of resurrection and the hope of a new life with him. So where do you find yourself this morning? Do you maybe feel trapped in your smallness? Do you maybe feel weak, insecure, or powerless? Do you feel far away from home? Do you feel insignificant or maybe even hidden? Remember that Jesus comes to us from a place, a place that is forgotten, hidden, small. And powerless. Know that God sees you. And know that God is waiting for you to come back home. To his warm embrace. Take heart in the fact that God knows you in your smallness. He knows you in your powerlessness. He sees you in your hiding. And he is still leading you to become a person who bears the hope of his gospel message to the world. Will you pray with me? Lord of the great conversion, we thank you that you are pursuing us when we are running from you. We thank you that you are converting the hard realities in our lives into radiant testimonies of your faithfulness. This Advent, we defer and surrender to your work in the midst of the challenges that we are facing. We revel in your promise to make everything new when you come again in all your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.